Welcome to another message from Columbus First Assembly. Thanks for listening as we strive to learn and live the word and ways of God. Our hope is that you're encouraged by today's message. This was declared before the foundation of the world. His birth was foretold in the scriptures. His sacrifice was forewarned by the prophets, but it wouldn't have mattered. He was born of a virgin. He remained pure in the face of every temptation. He lived perfectly. Even his enemies couldn't bring a legitimate charge against him, but it wouldn't have mattered. He pursued the unlovable. He served the unworthy. He healed the incurable. He endured the betrayal of friends. He endured the condemnation of the crowds. He endured the cross with all its shame and suffering, but it wouldn't have mattered. None of it would have mattered if the grave had not been empty, if death had not been defeated, if Jesus had not risen, none of it matters. But because of the resurrection, it all matters. His suffering matters. It means we were bought with an unspeakable price. His love matters. It means God's love is not only unconditional, it's incomprehensible. His life matters. It means God became fully man to become our perfect sacrifice. And the prophecies matter. It means God was and is and always will be in control. And everything happens according to his plan. It means that faith in him is not in vain. Belief in him is not foolish. Those who tell the story are not liars. And those who trust in Jesus should not be pitied. Ultimately, the resurrection means that what you do with Jesus is all that should matter to you. Well, good morning again. Uh, I've been informed that I'm to bring the house down. I'm not sure if this is going to help or not, but um, this is our toddler wrestling ring this morning, and our contestants are coming up on the screen. Here are our toddler wrestlers. We are going down into the preschool class, and we are going to costume them, and they are going to come and rumble. Well, maybe not. But when we were creating the illustration, and you guys have to follow me all the way down here, cameras, because my stuff is here, and I am breathless. When we were creating the illustration, and Pastor Evan was putting it together for me, he said, that kind of looks like a wrestling ring. I thought, you know what? It does. We should do some toddler wrestling. And then I thought better of it, because I do have to go home this afternoon. And uh, don't want Sherry to say, that was the dumbest thing <laughs> you have ever done in all of the years <laughs> that I have known you. Happy Easter again to everyone. We're going to share this morning from the scripture. And then as you have already determined, I have an illustrated sermon. And this will make sense later in the message. 
when I uh, explain what's going on. But for now, you can imagine it as a toddler wrestling ring. Today, I'm concluding a four-part series called Jesus Is. And we looked at the first part, which was Jesus is God. Jesus is the only way was part two. Jesus is our sacrifice, part three. And all of those are available on our audio channels, our podcast channel, as well as on the church website and, of course, on YouTube via video. Today we're going to read the resurrection account from Luke's Gospel. And before we get there, I want to give you a little background on Luke. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book that we call Acts of the Apostles, actually was a Gentile believer. He was also a physician, a doctor of those days. And he specifically made an investigation of the claims of Christ. In fact, the very beginning of his Gospel says this, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. If we could bring the verses up, please. There we go. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write... An accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain, this is the line, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. So this morning when we read Luke's account of the resurrection, he's investigated everything that's in this passage. And he investigated it so that a man by the name of Theophilus, his family, but also all of us, would be able to be certain of the truth that we've been taught. So I'm going to encourage you to get your Bible this morning. If it's paper, turn to the 24th chapter of Luke. If it's your device, get your Bible program out, whether that's the U version or something else. And we're going to actually, I'm going to read the entire 24th chapter this morning. We will bounce back to chapter 23 just to set the context. So as you're finding the uh, scripture on your device... As I do most Sundays, this is the New Living Translation that I am reading from. We're picking it up in verse 50 of chapter 23. Jesus has already died. His body is on the cross. The day is coming to an end. The criminals that were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left, had their legs broken to speed their death, because the Jews didn't want anyone hanging over their Passover, over their Sabbath, over that day. But Jesus had already died. It was verified through a spear to his side. His bones were not broken, as it says in the Old Testament, one of the prophecies. We pick it up now in verse 50. Now, there was a good and righteous man named Joseph. He was a member of the Jewish high council. But he had not agreed with the decision and actions of the other religious leaders. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. He went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Then he took the body down from the cross, wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth, 
and laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of the rock. This was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, as the Sabbath was about to begin. Once the sun went down on Friday, that was the beginning of Sabbath. Sabbath went from sundown to sundown. As his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where he had been placed. Then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint the body. But by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun, so they rested as was required by the law. So they gathered up all the spices they needed, but they weren't able to work on the Sabbath, so they were going to have to wait to do the final preparation of Jesus' body. Now we pick it up in chapter 24. Late Friday afternoon, just as the sun was going down, these events took place. Jesus was placed in a tomb. A stone was rolled. Everyone went home. They honored the Sabbath. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb. Excuse me a second. <coughs> I'm going to blame that cough on Nathaniel. He just picked such great songs that I was singing so loud that I strained my throat. So I'm going to blame you on my cough. Is that okay? But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They're now going to finish the preparation of Jesus' body. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in. But they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified, and they bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead? For someone who is alive. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back to the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary, Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings, and he went home again wondering what had happened. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they talked about everything that had happened, as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. So, Jesus has risen. The women have seen the empty tomb. Peter's seen the empty tomb. But now there are two followers of Jesus that are walking seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And Jesus appears to them. Verse 17. He asked them, what, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short. Sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about the things that have happened in the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. Well, the things that happened to Jesus. The man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet. And he did powerful miracles. And he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. 
We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. And this all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group were at the tomb early in the morning. And they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all, the pro all that the prophets wrote in the scripture. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before he entered his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, by this time, they were nearing Emmaus at the end of the journey, and Jesus acted as if he was going to be going along, but they begged him, stay the night with us, since it's getting late. So he went home with them, and as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and broke it. Then he gave it to them. Suddenly, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. I want to take you back a couple of verses Verse number 25 through 27 on the screen. There's some highlighted words. Then we're going to finish the text. But Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things and enter glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning him. What was written? What was predicted? What did the Old Testament scriptures say concerning the Messiah? Floyd Hamilton's book, The Basis of Christianity, notes that there are 332 distinct predictions which were literally fulfilled in Jesus. 332 things in the Old Testament were predicted, prophesied, that were fulfilled in Jesus. Barton Payne lists 191 in his Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy. Don Stamps in his Life in the Spirit Study Bible lists 115 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. The numbers don't matter, there's just a whole bunch of them out there. We can be certain that there are quite a few prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament. But what are the odds of someone fulfilling that? My volunteer, Ethan, if you would make your way to the stage. And we will try and keep our distance so you can wear the mask or you can take it off if you would like. I think everybody wants to see your face on TV, so come on up. If you have a, uh, uh, a seat over there. I just opened a roll of quarters. This is $10 worth of quarters. There are 40 quarters in this bowl. Now, Ethan, I'd like you to take this quarter and this marker and find somebody on a front row and have them mark the quarter for you and then bring it back up, please. Any kind of mark. This isn't a magic trick. I know magicians do all this kind of stuff, and then they pull out on somebody's ear. This isn't a magic trick. All right. Now, Ethan, I am going to put the quarter back in the bowl. I'll take that. We're going to mix it up. 
Now, Ethan is going to reach into here with his eyes closed because I didn't want to go through finding you a blindfold. And I want you to pull the marked quarter. Okay? What are his odds, folks? One in 40. If you do this, no, nah, never mind. I don't want you to buy a lottery ticket. But <laughs> close your eyes. Uh, his eyes were open. He was looking. Eyes closed. I should have guided his hand. And you have the wrong quarter. One in 40 chance. Thank you, Ethan. You will return momentarily, but I will let you go and sit down for now. A one in 40 chance that he would find the right quarter, and he didn't because the odds were against him. Jesus came to earth, and there were hundreds of prophecies about the coming Messiah that were literally fulfilled in him. I can tell you this, the odds are more than 1 in 40 that one man would fulfill all these. But let's continue reading. Starting in verse 32, Jesus had told them and walked them through what had been said about him in the law and in the prophets. And then as he broke the bread, they recognized who it was, and then he disappeared. So in verse 32, it says, they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. They were, there they found the other 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me. And make sure that I am not a ghost, because ghosts do not have bodies, as you see that I do. And as he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms, and it, that they must be fulfilled. Then he opened their mind to understand the scriptures. Here's another verse as it comes up on the screen. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you everything that was written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that they, it must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. I wonder where he took them. I wonder what he reminded them of. Maybe, maybe uh, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? The words that Jesus spoke from the cross or when he was hanging on the cross, it was prophesied about him that um, my strength has dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An, eagle, an evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced 
my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. Maybe he took them there. Maybe to Isaiah 53, one of the key messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for our own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. King David wrote that hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came. Or King David wrote Psalm 22. Isaiah, still hundreds and hundreds of years. And Jesus, on Resurrection Sunday, is now opening their minds and their hearts to the Scripture. When I was with you before, when he was alive, I told you that everything written about me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled, and it was fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture and he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent and you are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from on high. And then now, 40 days later, Luke concludes, and Jesus left to Bethany, and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them, and while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. So they worshiped him and then returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they spent all of their time in the temple praising God. All that was written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. There are 48 very distinct Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. Things that God revealed to those who wrote Psalms, those who wrote the prophetic books, those who wrote the historic books. 48. And some have said that some of these predictions could have been fulfilled in the deaths of, say, John F. Kennedy or Dr. King or other great figures. And it is true, one or two of those might have been able to. But the truth is, Jesus fulfilled all of them. What are the odds? What are the odds that it could have fulfilled all of them? What are the odds that one man would by chance fulfill all of these prophecies? Well, I can tell you what, it's more than one in 40. And you didn't do so well with 1 in 40. But let's not consider the odds of all 48. Let's do what Professor Peter Stone did back in the 1950s. And this illustration was something that he came up with. But back in the 1950s, he wrote a book called Science Speaks. And in it, he took eight prophecies of the Messiah. 
eight prophecies from the Old Testament, and he figured the probability that one man by chance could fulfill eight prophecies. The eight Old Testament prophecies are on the screen that he would be born in Bethlehem. His arrival is preceded by a messenger. He would enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Now that could be one he could possibly have chosen for himself. He would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver and the silver would be used to purchase the potter's field. He would die among criminals. He would be silent before his accusers. His hands and his feet would be pierced. And they would cast lot for his clothing. You know, when David wrote about his hands and feet being pierced and casting lot for his clothing, crucifixion hadn't even been invented yet. The Romans invented crucifixion, the manner in which Jesus died, but at the time that that was written in the Psalms, it hadn't been invented yet, yet the Holy Spirit dropped it into the heart of David that the Messiah would die in this way. God dropped it into the heart of Micah that he'd be born in Bethlehem. In Isaiah, that his arrival would be preceded by a messenger. In Zechariah, that he would enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Also in Zechariah, that he'd be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. And then that that silver would be used to purchase the potter's field. That's in Zechariah. He would die amongst criminals, Isaiah 53. He would be silent before his accusers, Psalm 38. His hands and feet would be pierced. They would cast lot for his clothing, both. Psalm 22. So what are the odds? What are the odds? Well, Stoner did something very interesting. And by the way, uh, the probabilities, the statistical probabilities that Stoner used and he applied to the eight of these, he said, coincidence is ruled out by the science of probability. The mathematical analysis included is based upon the principles of probability and they are thoroughly sound. Pastor Stoner, Professor Stoner has applied these principles in a proper and convincing way, and that's a quote from the American Scientific Affiliation members and their executive council who reviewed his book. So we've looked at 40 to 1 odds. The odds of one man fulfilling these eight prophecies concerning the Messiah are greater than that. So now we come to the ring. Ethan, come. Join me again. I managed to acquire a silver dollar. Uh, they're not as easy to find anymore, and I certainly didn't want to find a quantity of them because it would have cost an arm and a leg, and then I had to have gotten rid of them. I can take the quarters back to the bank. So I've only got one, but on the screen is an illustration of silver dollars. Now, Ethan, here is my ring. This is a 10 by 10 by 2. Mathematical people, how many cubic feet is that? 200, very good mathematical people. Now, we're going to have to use our imaginations this morning, not fully. Come on into the ring with me, if you would, please. Uh, because I did do the ring to give you an idea. I want you to imagine that this ring is filled two foot high, ten foot wide, ten foot deep with silver dollars. And some of you are salivating because you know the price of silver. But your imagination. Now, Ethan, we did the bowl. And we allowed you to reach into that bowl and to find the marked quarter. You could not at 40 to 1 odds. I don't know how many silver dollars it would take to fill 10 by 10 by 2. There's one. 
it doesn't take up much space. So I am assuming that if we were to fill this whole space with silver dollars, we're talking in the thousands, if not tens of thousands, of silver dollars. Now, Ethan, I can't have you actually do this because, once again, I can't afford tens of thousands of silver dollars to make this illustration, but I'm marking this silver dollar. You can stay in. I was going to have you step out, but why? We have now filled the space with silver dollars. This one marked silver dollar has been mixed up in the whole mix of silver dollars. I blindfold Ethan. I help him get over the side. I'm not going to let you trip. And I say, Ethan, you have one chance. You can go any place in this ring. You can dig down as deep as you want, or you could stay on the surface. You are blindfolded. You cannot see. Find me the marked silver dollar. What do you think your odds are? Pretty low. Probably lower than the one in 40 over there, right? Guess what, folks? The probability of one man, by chance, fulfilling the eight prophecies that were on the screen that are in your note sheets are greater than the amount of silver dollars that would have been in this ring. Thank you, Ethan, for your help. Let me tell you, go ahead. Let me tell you what Professor Stoner determined and discovered. The odds of one man fulfilling that particular, uh, all those eight prophecies, not the 48, just those eight, is a really, really, really big number that's coming up on the screen. That's the odds. That's a gazillion, as we used to say as kids. You know, there's, there's the hundreds, the thousands, the hundreds of thousands, the millions, of billions, but it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. As a matter of fact, just to make it easier, it is this. It is 10 to the 17th power. Eight prophecies. Born in Jerusalem, pierced, closed, divided, and then given away. Odds are 1 in 10 to the 17th power that one person by chance from then until now could by chance fulfill eight. That's nine. Eight. Eight prophecies. One, ten to the seventeenth power. Now, Ethan, I allowed you to, ch to choose from one in forty. I didn't have enough silver dollars to allow you to choose out of the ring, but we're going to say maybe there were ten thousand in here. One in ten thousand. Here's what Stoner said would need to take place for someone by chance to fulfill eight prophecies. In order to help us comprehend the staggering probability, Stoner illustrates it by supposing that we take 10 to the 17th power silver dollars and lay them on the face of Texas. They will cover all of the state two foot deep. That's how many silver dollars it would take for 10 to the 17th. Two foot deep. The silver dollars are that thick and they are on the face of Texas. Now, Sherry lived in southwest Texas. Southwest Texas is no man's land when you have to drive across Texas to get there. 
thank you, Southwest Airlines, that we don't do that any longer. Texas is a big state. Anybody driven across Texas? Two foot deep in silver dollars. You take one silver dollar, you mark it, you stir it into the silver dollars someplace. And then you blindfold one man. And you tell him that he could travel as far as he wishes. But at some point he must stop. He must reach into the pile of silver dollars and pull out one. And it would be the marked one. That is the odds. Statistical probability been verified by mathematical individuals. That is the odds that one man, by chance, would fulfill the eight prophecies that I showed you on the screen. Professor Stoner goes on and says this. Now these prophecies were either given by inspiration of God or the prophets just wrote them as they thought they should be. Those are the two options. In such a case, the prophets had just one chance in 10 to the 17th power of having them come true in any man, but they all came true in Jesus. This means that the fulfillment of these eight prophecies alone proves that God inspired the writings of these prophecies to a definitiveness which lacks only one chance in 10 to the 17th power of being absolute. And the odds of someone by chance fulfilling the 48 major prophecies is incomprehensible. If the odds are so astronomical that Jesus could fulfill only eight of the prophecies, and personally I believe the science of probability has proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was the Messiah. Which means that Jesus is God, Jesus is the only way. Jesus is our sacrifice. And Jesus is victorious. He rose. And because he rose, everything that he did up to that point now matters. I love the video that we started with while I was setting up the illustration. His love, his death, his teachings, without the resurrection, they don't matter. All he was is a good man who died, and we've had a lot of good men who have died. But because he rose from the dead, it all matters. And because he was God, the Son, because God knew what was going to happen, God prophesied. There are prophecies about the Messiah that go back to the book of Genesis all the way through the book of Malachi throughout the Old Testament. Hundreds of prophecies, 48 major ones, but only eight in our silver dollar illustration. Only eight for one man to fulfill. Probability is one in 10 to the 17th power or silver dollars all over Texas. He's saying we serve an awesome God, such an awesome God. Here is just another example 
of his awesomeness. An example of the truth that what Jesus taught, that what the Old Testament taught is true. Because science speaks. Now certainly there's a faith element. Somebody can say, yes, but there is that one chance. I had someone, I used another illustration similar to this many, many years ago. I said, yes, but there's that one chance. Yes, there is that one chance. A relationship with God requires faith. And long before I heard of Stoner's book and of this illustration and of the eight prophecies and of the odds, I had already opened my heart and life to Jesus. I had already become born again. And I didn't need Stoner's predictions. I didn't need probability. I didn't need science to speak because my heart changed. For many of you, if you grew up in church, on Easter Sunday, you may have sung a song called He Lives. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living no matter what men say. But the line in that song that means so much to me is, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Jesus changed My sin was forgiven, that burden was gone, and a transformative power began to take place. And long before probabilities and long before statistics, this man was changed by the awesome God who came in flesh, taught, died as our perfect sacrifice, sinless, perfect Lamb of God. And then made a gift available to any who would receive. And in my early 20s, I opened my heart. I received his gift. And you ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. But I like this stuff too. Would you bow? Worship team, if you can make your way. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Today, I thank you for the opportunity to once again, hear and reflect upon the story. I thank you for the opportunity, Lord God, to share the truths of science as well as personal testimony. I thank you today on this Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, that people have gathered here in the building, people have gathered online. And Lord, there may be some who have gathered that have not yet made a personal profession of faith in opening their heart to Jesus. And before this service is over, I pray that some would, but at least that all, would seriously consider that Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is the only way. Jesus Christ is our sacrifice. Jesus is victorious. In Jesus' name, amen. For some of you who may want to delve more deeply into this, there are three books that I have recommended during this series, and they're coming up on the screen. They're in your notes. If you didn't pick up a note sheet, they're on the back table. Evidence that demands a verdict, Josh McDowell and his son, Sean McDowell, 
Uh, I've used this book extensively. In fact, the uh, Stoner, Peter Stoner study is, is referenced in that book. I can't afford Peter's book. Peter's book is so rare right now that even the used copies on eBay were 300 bucks. And I thought, I'll just take Josh's uh, word for it that that's what Stoner said. Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ, excellent, excellent book. And then Cold Case Christianity by J. Warner Wallace. It's a uh, um, forensics detective, a cold case detective, who actually looked at the evidence as if Jesus' life and death was a cold case and came to the conclusion that what is there in the scriptures is accurate. Great books. This morning, the team is going to lead us in a song again, and then I'm going to come back up. But on Easter Sunday, I know that there are guests here. I know that there are guests online. Once again, thank you all for being here. Not sure if the roof came down or not, Pastor Evan, but uh, I certainly tripped over that block enough, and if I would have fallen, um, maybe that would have caused the roof to come down. God loves you. Every single one of you. Follower or not a follower, God loves you. But he wants you to become a follower because he wants to spend eternity with you. And the word of God is very clear that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. He was the Messiah. He was God in flesh. And he himself claimed that no man comes to the Father except through me. The early church declared that there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. And if you don't know him personally, after we sing a couple of, for a few minutes, I'm going to come back and I'm going to give you opportunity in which to do that. But would you stand and let's just respond to the wonderful news, not only that Jesus rose, but <laughs> the probability of his life being what it was is astounding. That's the kind of God we serve. Off the bridge and sing, nothing comes close to the Lord Almighty. Nothing comes close to the Lord Almighty. Nothing as sweet as your love and mercy. Nothing comes close to the Lord.
so loved the world, Jesus said, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. If you have not yet opened your heart to the Lord Jesus, if you're home, you have not opened your heart yet to the Lord Jesus, I'm going to ask you, is that your desire today? It is a gift, so you don't earn it. It's just given freely, but you have to receive it. And if you would like to receive the gift today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do would everyone bow their heads, just close their eyes. I'm not going to spend a great deal of time. You know whether or not you have opened your heart to Jesus and would like to today. So while everyone's eyes are closed, would you slip your hand up and say, Pastor, I would like to open my heart to Jesus, or I'd like to give my life back to Jesus. If that is you today in the building, would you lift your hand just quickly? I'll, I acknowledge it, and then you can put it down. Anybody this morning, you would say, you would like to open your heart to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to receive the free gift of eternal life at home if that is you I'm going to lead in a prayer here momentarily and for those who have lifted their hands or you at home I'm going to lead you in a prayer if it is your desire this morning and I'm going to ask everyone to pray whether or not you're a believer or not just so others can pray out loud would you repeat after me? Lord Jesus, I admit that I am a sinner and I need a Savior. Lord, I believe that you are God in flesh and that you are the only way to the Father. So Lord, I receive the free gift that you won for me 
by your sacrifice and that you won for me by your rising from the dead. Lord, I give you my life. I choose to live for you and not for myself. Save me today. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. For those who are available and able to help in prayer this morning, would you get ready, masks, and slip forward and stand facing the congregation? If you have a prayer need of any kind, I don't want you to leave an Easter Sunday service. I so appreciated uh, a message that was on Facebook this week of someone who came forward last Sunday for prayer and God touched them in a healing way and it was so cool to hear about that. But if you need prayer this morning for anything, physical healing, emotional issues, if you want to pray with someone here about your relationship with Jesus Christ, these people are here for you today team is going to sing once again. I think we need to just sing those words again about an awesome God. And then Nathaniel will dismiss the service this morning. God bless you, home audience. God bless you. Happy Easter to you all. You've been listening to a message from Columbus First Assembly. We hope that you've been encouraged in your spiritual journey. If you're not part of a local church and would like to attend one of our regular services, our church is located at the corner of 10th and Iowa Street in Columbus, Indiana. Our Sunday morning worship services start at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday evening studies begin at 7 p.m. And while you're online, check out our website at columbusfirstassembly.org for details and information about our church. You will also find other messages and series that you can listen to or download. Thanks for spending some time with us and for taking advantage of this resource from Columbus First Assembly, where we strive to learn and live the word and ways of God.